Hello, and welcome to Searching the Catalog. I'm Jasmine. And I'm Derek. And we are your hosts. This is only our second episode, so if you're a first-time listener, or if it's been too long of a month since our first episode in this one, and you've forgotten, Derek and I are looking to expand our literary horizons and become more familiar with what's available in our library's catalog here um, at the Queen Anne's County Library. Every month we pick a theme and try to find books that we wouldn't usually read, are a bit older, or maybe just got missed when they first went into the system. I pick out an adult fiction and nonfiction book to read. And I read some children's and young adult literature. And this month's theme is Gardens in Gardening. So how have you been, Derek? Has, been... has this been a good month of searching and reading? You know, uh, definitely a lot of books this time around. Uh, searching was a little bit more of a challenge. I agree. <laughs> but, you know, it was enjoyable, and I definitely found some selections that I liked. And I guess the first one I would like to discuss is I Am Farmer. Mm -hmm. It's a picture book. Uh, it's written by Baptiste and Miranda Paul, and the illustrations were by Elizabeth Zunin. So, to set the scene, it's about a kid growing up in Cameroon mm -hmm. who discovers one day that he loves farming because he steals his grandma's onions. Mm -hmm. And then he plants them into the ground, and he's actually surprised and upset because they don't grow initially. He, do, he forgot to water them. Oh. And so it's a learning experience, but he does realize that he likes plants. And he's not very good at farming at first. Mm -hmm. and But he discovers that he loves it because he likes the idea of plants and planting things. And from there, he discovers his purpose. This is a book about environmentalism and following your heart. Uh, in his time, he actually encountered a lot of people who kind of like naysayers. Mm -hmm. they, they, they actually used farmer initially to kind of disparage him. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't see being a farmer as a good thing. And he wants to prove them wrong, and he does so uh, by helping out his community and using his passion to actually uh, kind of revolutionize things for uh, not just his local uh, community of Cameroon, but for many people throughout the entire country. So this, this is a nonfiction book? This is, this is nonfiction, yes, yes. It's about his childhood and then also his movement that he created, actually, uh, to um, bring water as well as food to people who uh, needed some help. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's really good. I think it's inspirational, and people who are interested not only in just, you know, plants and gardening, but people who like environmentalism, and that story's just about helping out, you know? It's, it was very inspirational. So it's a good um, sort of character counts, community. Yeah, exactly. kind of book. There's, there's a good lesson to it, and I find it very inspirational. What's pretty cool about this specific copy that I got from our system is actually that the authors have uh, signed it, so... Oh, that's neat. Yeah, maybe if our listeners uh, put it on hold, they will get the signed copy as well. <laughs> and then what about you? What about uh, one of the books that you've read? Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like a Scooby story. <laughs> well, I there are obviously a lot of books about gardening mm -hmm. um, throughout our entire system, all over the Eastern Shore. People love gardens, people love gardening. I needed to find a nonfiction book about gardening, mm. but not about how to make your own garden, how to landscape your own yard, how, how to, um, I don't know, prune trees. Yeah. You, you can hear how, how much I know about gardening, <laughs> gardening in nature, um, just from how I'm talking. Um, so, so I really wanted to find something interesting, but 
also not not a how-to manual basically yeah um so i read a lot of books you're gonna hear about all of them today because i read them (laughs) (laughs) um and we're all excited to hear yes so the first one that i read um, is called gardens and gardening in the chesapeake from 1700 to 1805 by barbara wells cerruti um and this is a history book Hmm. which might be cheating um (laughs) If, if you recall from the very first episode, I mentioned that I usually read nonfiction history books. Um, and I'm going to say it's okay this time because I don't know anything about gardening history. Fair. Yeah. So I read it. And while it is, it's a little bit dry at times because the author is basically just telling you, you know, at some points about um, these very prominent local figures um, gardens and what they looked like and how they were laid out and what their what their grounds looked like in the mm-hmm. house what their walls looked like you know and it has um, like some of the architectural plans and it has um, the plans of the gardens and people who are listening who are into gardens like I know this would be interesting to you <laughs> but when I was reading it I was, all I was thinking was this is going to be very interesting to people who are um, more interested in reading about gardens than I am mm-hmm um, which isn't to say that I didn't enjoy it, because there is a bunch of little um, historical ane- anecdotes um, that popped up that I thought were really fun. I always enjoy reading about, um, like, food and animals and, like, social history aspects. Um, and in this book, uh, she splits it basically into people and places, um, the people who worked on the gardens, um, what was being uh, planted in the gardens and sort of the social aspects of, of gardens and gardening, what it brought to people. And I did sticky note some of the little interesting parts. Ooh, let's hear. Okay. Most gardeners could not afford brick walls and chose traditional paling, a picket fence, to protect their kitchen gardens. Occasionally, Virginians denoted property lines with rail fences constructed in a zigzag form. One traveler wrote in 1777, the New Englanders have a saying, when a man is in his liquor, he is making Virginia fences. (laughs) Uh, I think all my fences would be Virginia fences without any intention. (laughs) It just has a bunch of neat little things like that in it. And if you're interested particularly in um, local Chesapeake, Delmarva area history. Um, I think it would also be uh, something uh, to pick up because there's a lot of familiar names in there. Um, Any homes nearby, perchance? There's there's one in particular mm. that I also sticky noted because I like to see it. Um, the Peka House and Gardens, um, which was owned by William Peka and is in Annapolis still, um, in which I, I interned at for for a little bit. Oh, nice. Um, so I, I can say I, I was in those gardens um, <laughs> quite a few times. And look at that, listeners. So you get a fuel trip and a podcast. <laughs> and so let's see here. I'll go with my next uh, selection that I have for... Uh, it's a junior chapter book. It's called Sadiq and the Green Thumbs. This one features a character named Sadiq, mm-hmm. who is the title character, and it's actually a whole series of books. So for those who enjoy this one, uh, fear not, there are more. This is definitely for the level of reader who is starting to get kind of on their own feet, 
Uh, we're starting to get more confident in reading on our own and reading reading for stories and enjoyment. Um, in this story, it's Sadiq is part of a family who's Somali, and they're going to Dugsi, which is the religious school. He finds out, actually, that his teacher at Dugsi is injured, and he needs some help. So, being the good person that Sadiq is, he figures that he can be the one to give him some help. And he goes over, and what they need to do is build their garden. So Sadiq not only helps him himself, but enlists the help of others to help out his teacher. So again, it's a great story of pitching together, working together, and uh, completing some much-needed work in your community. Gardens seem to be a thing that constantly throughout the books that I've been reading, gardening is a way to bring people together. Mm-hmm. Everyone, as you kind of mentioned, likes flowers, likes, mm-hmm. likes plants. And so in this story, uh, we definitely see that message reflected as well. Gardening uh, is a good way to connect with others. That kind of seg- segues into the fiction book that I read, um, mm. so which I don't have with me because it was on hold for somebody else while I had it um, checked out. So, popular book. Oh. Um, so it was The Samurai's Garden by Gail Sukiyama. Um, and I'm going to explain it, and I'm going to explain it further, because I think this might be a lot to take in at once, and I want to, I want to do it justice. Oh, okay. Okay. So, first off, I very much enjoyed it. Good book. Excellent. Heartily recommend That's what we like to hear. <laughs> um, so, The Samurai's Garden um, is set in 1937, um, at the very start of the Second Sino-Japanese War. Um, and Stephen is a young Chinese man living in Hong Kong with his family, um, who is ill um, with tuberculosis. Um, his family has a summer home in a Japanese town, and they send him there to convalesce and recover. Um, so here in this town, he befriends Matsu, who is the quiet housekeeper and gardener who's um, been working uh, for his family for a few generations. Um, and Matsu begins to take him to visit Sachi, who's an old friend of his um, from his youth. Um, and who has leprosy and lives in a nearby mountain village with others who have the same condition. And the book is made up of Stephen's diary entries of his year there, split into seasons, as he writes about what's occurred during the day, who he's seen, who he's spoken to, um, the letters from his family, which bring news of increasing unrest as the war rages on, as well as conflict within his own family, as all as he grows closer to Matsu and Zachi and learns the story of their lives which I feel like that might be a lot of information to have just have thrown at you. How does the format of the book uh, relate to the story? How does, that, how, how does that make you feel, the formatting? The diary entry yes. formatting? Um, I quite like it. It's first-person novels aren't my favorite thing to, to begin with, mm-hmm. but I've always had a fondness for, like, diary entry diary entry and epistolary novels Mm -hmm. for whatever reason i really don't know why it's like the fanny dooley thing from zoom do you remember that no i don't they would do oh well now i have to explain it (laughs) (laughs) i can't just but but it was that you you remember zoom the the tv (laughs) show and they had this little segment called fanny dooley where they would always be like um like like she she was a girl who would like one thing but wouldn't like another thing and then they would go I wonder why that is. And I swear to you, I never understood any of, the, like, like it's supposed to be, like, a puzzle for you to figure it out, but I wasn't that smart a kid, and I'm not that smart now. So, <laughs> <laughs> But it would be, like, 
Um, and, and even if I try and make up an example, it's not going to be right because I didn't understand it when I was younger. But anyway, so they would go like, Fanny Dooley loves libraries, but she doesn't like bookstores. I wonder why that is. And then, but they would just make up like similar things. So for this one, it's like, I don't like first person novels, but I, I am okay with epistolary and diary. Ones. So there you go. But there's no reason that we don't know why. <laughs> yeah. There's no reason we don't know why. I'm sure there's some formula or some like wordplay for Fanny Dooley that I just never got both as a youth and as an adult. <laughs> um, but there you go. There's that aside. <laughs> but, but I enjoy, I enjoy the, um, the diary entries. Yeah. It's, it's very much a slow slice of life kind of novel. There's, there's no, you know, action sequences or anything. Um, Steven's ill. He's getting better. It's sort of just his recollections of the day of, you know, he wakes up, he talks with Matsu, Matsu works in the garden, Steven paints or helps out in the garden uh, at first, and then they... You know, as they grow closer, uh, Matsu takes him to see Sachi, and they grow closer, and they form a relationship. Um, and throughout the novel, Stephen's sort of just, you know, like meeting people in the town and going to town and making these relationships and learning more about um, the people who live there, but particularly um, Matsu and Sachi's past and um, what's happened between them and how they've sort of gotten to the place that we see them in the present. So I wouldn't say, like, it's a mystery, but the, a major part of the novel, the excitement of the novel for me, is sort of just watching those relationships grow so that I could find out um, more about Matsu and Sachi's past. Mm-hmm. Like, that was, that was what I was really interested in. And were you satisfied by what you found out? I was pretty satisfied. Yeah. I thought it all it all came together very well. Um, and it is a it's a serious novel. I say slice of life, and it is like everyday stuff. I feel like slice of life has a more um, maybe like a Hallmark mm-hmm. movie kind of connotation. Like this is all happy and stuff, but it's a pretty serious. Like there's there's heavy subjects that are brought up. Um, it's very somber at times, and this is all during the backdrop of. Japan invading China. Yeah. 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 So, and, and that's something that isn't forgotten throughout the whole novel. Um, you know, Stephen will be somewhere and he'll be, you know, having a good time talking to people. And then suddenly on the radio, you hear, you know, that, um, the, the Japanese forces latest conquest of parts of China. And it, it's very awkward for him. And it's awkward for the people around him that you know this is happening mm-hmm. because for the most part like he's he's having a very good time and people like him and he doesn't face that many um incidences of like discrimination or prejudice except for um there is a girl that he likes that her family disapproves oh. um, that whole thing um so that's that's a big subplot of the novel as well um and what i'm telling what i'm telling you now is sort of you know, this is the novel. It's just his day-to-day life in mm-hmm. this year, um, living in this town, getting better, going down to the beach, um, you know, visiting the gardens, visiting Sachi. So like I mentioned, it can't get very heavy. 
So there's discussions of wartime atrocities, suicide, and self-harm. I just want to make that clear for anybody who wants to pick it up that those topics are brought up in there. Um, but at the same time, as Stephen learns of the hardships his friends have faced and are still facing, there's this sort of kind of gentle inevitability or presence um, of, of how, you know, not accepting, not just like accepting what's happened to you, but sort of like coming to terms with things that were not so great that happened in your past mm -hmm. um, and sort of learning to grow and um, live your life by, by accepting um, the things that have, that have brought you here to, to the place that you are now, that those things that have happened are, are a part of you and are a part of, part of your identity. Sounds uh, relaxing. It's, <laughs> it's, it's sort of like a, a meditative kind of novel. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm struggling to find the words because I still feel like saying, you know, just accepting what ha like the bad things that have happened are a part of you. Like that's not the, that doesn't sound like the greatest moral, but it's sort of just a coming to terms. Mm -hmm. Do you think this tone, have you encountered it before then? Not really, because I don't think this is the type of novel I would really usually pick up mm -hmm. because of the subject matter. Because when I was um, searching the catalog mm -hmm. uh, for a book, and I read the summary of this one, you know, it says you know, it's 1937 and Stephen is a Chinese man going to Japan to recover for from an illness, I was like, oh boy, you know, I don't see this ending well. <laughs> um, but I think that's that's sort of part of what makes it good is because however it ends, you know it's not going to end completely, you know, storybook happy ending, but mm -hmm. you can enjoy the time that the characters have together and what you learn about them. I like that. Oh, and um, I just wanted to read this little part of it. I don't have the book with me, so I, I had the, um, had a little, a little excerpt oh, okay. typed out here. Always that, love a good excerpt. Yeah, that I just, uh, I just really enjoyed reading that part of the book. The garden is a world filled with secrets. Slowly, I see more each day. The black pines twist and turn to form graceful shapes, while the moss is a carpet of green that invites you to sit by the pond. Even the stone lanterns, which dimly light the way at night, allow you to see only so much. Matsu's garden whispers at you, never shouts. It leads you down a path, hoping for more, as if everything is seen, yet hidden. There's a quiet beauty here I only hope I can capture on canvas. And I hope I... I've made some people interested in the book by talking about it, even though I think I've maybe I've had a little bit of a, of a difficulty um, putting across everything I liked about it. No, I'm definitely adding that to my hold list. <laughs> well, good. That's one person at least. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here. And then so for one of my YA uh, young adult books that I chose this time, uh, I went with Green Angel by Alice Hoffman. It actually turns out that this one's part of a series as well. Uh, however, this book she wrote in 2003, and then the following two books, Green Witch and Green Heart, weren't actually produced until 2010 and 2012, so there's, there's a little bit of gap of time in between them. But in this book, it follows the main character, Green. Uh, after a catastrophic event happens, um, the marketplace nearby actually ends up burning down, mm -hmm. 
and covering almost everything in ash, including the garden that, that she used to so carefully tend to. Her character, she's known for actually her almost supernatural gift of tending to gardens and how like all the plants and everything just seem to respond to her and uh, thrive under her touch. But when she's left alone and her family passes away in the, in the event, she kind of turns away from gardening. And so here I definitely see, you know, the garden as a metaphor for her well-being and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Again, we have these characters who are going through some kind of thing, tra trauma of some sort in their life who uh, we see it reflected in gardening. Green just kind of lives out her life alone afterwards. Uh, she does meet other characters and everything like that and builds up a little bit of a, of a group of people who, you know, she's companions with. But all in all, it's mostly just her roughing it, trying to survive now that her family's gone. Mm -hmm. And it, this was, it was a huge catastrophic event that, that took out many people's families to the point that there's children who are now on the street and things like that. It's a little, it's a little dystopian. Mm -hmm. uh, so if, if you're going to plan on reading this, definitely have that in mind that the, the backdrop is... It's it's not <laughs> it's not super happy sunshine. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, part of it is that the ash has literally started to cover everything, and so it's just it's basically like a world of ash, which she so decides to change her name to as uh, from green because she no longer feels green. She mm -hmm. says, um, but over time, and as things develop, she comes to accept the change that has happened in her life mm -hmm. and towards the end of the novel we actually don't see uh, necessarily like a full resolution which mm -hmm. I imagine is why we ended up getting our following books Green Witch and uh, Green Heart later mm -hmm. well that seems to be a um, like, you, like you mentioned like the reoccurring theme of um, sort of rebirth renewal yeah and, um, something something new growing out of um the past and what's happened to you sort of lay, laying that to rest or coming to terms with it and then um, healing from it definitely she she definitely experiences all that and also as a character herself she I definitely think she's someone I would have related to in high school mm -hmm. she she kind of has you know that feel of like she's not the average typical person she's like a little unique in some sort and of course you know we all like to think that we're unique and we're all special in our own way and we so are all unique and special <laughs> in our own way Derek of course we are I'm not trying, <laughs> trying to diminish that but what I mean is she definitely has some quirks that um, I think I would have vibed with when I was when I was that age yeah I would highly recommend it basically for anyone who has um, a teen at home who's looking for a book um, that kind of enjoys that dystopian feel. Mm. That's a lot of teens. I still love dystopian stuff. Oh, me too. Yeah. Post-apocalyptic, dystopian, um, and any of that. It's all my jam. I, I was going to say, um, the author of, oh, of yes. the book, uh, Alice Hoffman, she's the one who did um, Practical Magic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually haven't read the book Practical Magic, so um, reading Green Angel has has definitely piqued my interest with that. But the movie, I love. I love Practical Magic. That's 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 a quality piece of cinema there. <laughs> I haven't I haven't read the book. I haven't seen the movie, but I, I did look up Alice Hoffman just to see what else she's written. Apparently, um, Aquamarine. 
if you know that of that movie with the um, mermaids. It's a like a young adult children's kind of movie, just kind of classic. Still goes out um, in our system quite often. She wrote a um, a book that was that was the basis for that movie. According to the Wikipedia page, um, it was quite it was quite a different sort of adaption. Hmm. So I'm just I haven't read any of Alice Hoffman's work. <laughs> I'm just name dropping titles. So, which, <laughs> which I sort of feel like imagine, like I meet Alice Hoffman and I'm like, hey, seems like your books are pretty good. I haven't read it. <laughs> I haven't read any of them, but you know, people seem to like that kind of thing. They make movies of them. Good job. And she'll be like, yeah, you seem like a cool person, I yeah. guess. <laughs> I don't know anything about you, but yeah, thank you. Yeah. What was the concept of this podcast? It was you would read three three children's books, mm-hmm. picture book, chapter book, young adult book, and I would read one nonfiction and one fiction adult book. Mm-hmm. I have two more nonfiction books here. Bring my my total of books this month to four books. You know, that's okay too because I kind of cheated a little bit and I have four books as well. Is it cheating to read more books? I don't know. I think, you know, I think that just makes us hard workers actually. <laughs> so, two books by Marta McDowell. Um, they're both biographies. One is Beatrix Potter's Gardening Life, The Plants and Places That Inspired the Classic Children's Tales, and The World of Laura Ingalls Wilder, The Frontier Landscapes That Inspired the Little House Books. I enjoy these both immensely. Mm. I, I think I could um, I could talk for, for at least another podcast episode about how much I enjoyed the organization and the layout of these books. And I don't know if it's just like Marta McDowell, you just really know how to write <laughs> a good biography, or it's just the way that looking through someone's life through gardening um, works to put together, you know, a a biography of of a person as well as the gardens and the landscapes that they they saw and they worked on. But it just um, I feel like everything just really meshed well together here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll start with the I'll start with the Beatrix Potter one, All right. because th- this is the shorter one. And when anybody who ends up list, um, who is listening, who ends up interested in these two books after my long ramble about these mm-hmm. books, they they look big, and they they look um, like lengthy books, which not really because they're. They're just, they're just full of pictures, which is one thing that I really, really liked. They're full of pictures. They're full of photographs. Um, for the Beatrix Potter one, if you do not know Beatrix Potter, she wrote Peter Rabbit. Um, what are the other ones? Like Tom Kitten. Mm-hmm. Um, all A lot the, of her good classic children's tales. Yeah, all, the little, all the little animals in the cute little coats. Mm-hmm. Those are all her. Um, so it's full of her illustrations of the books, but also she, um, she's still a lot. Look at that. I'm showing Derek right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's gorgeous. It's, yeah. it's a beautiful watercolor of a garden scene. And, uh, she, she should have went to art school, I think. And there's like some mushrooms. If you read this book, you'll, you'll learn that she spent like a long time just, just studying fungi. Um, and there's, there's a lot of good, like little studies of, um, plants and animals here. Like what? Oh yeah. It's like science diagrams. Yeah. Um, very detailed. So it's just it's just like a joy to look at because mm-hmm. it's 
it, it's very beautiful. All these all these pictures are very beautiful. And the same in the um, Laura Ingalls Wilder book. In, in that one, there's just a lot of photographs of, you know, the the countryside, mm -hmm. um, farms. Um, Some cottagecore vibes or something? Yeah, a little bit of cottagecore, but also, like, ads and paraphernalia from the time period that Laura mm -hmm. Ingalls Wilder lived in. So there, there's just a lot of photos, and I feel about it. Now that I've read these these nonfiction gardening books, the same way I feel about cookbooks, where if you want me to look at your cookbook, you gotta have, if not a photograph for every recipe, at least every other recipe. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, what's the point? Get that out of my face. <laughs> and right now for, for these gardening books, you, you gotta have photos of the garden if you want me to look at your gardening book. You gotta have a lot of, I better see some plants, Better see some some flowers and vegetables, um, some nice nice landscapes with the changing seasons. I want to see it all. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I went off on a tangent there. <laughs> so the the books are split into biography section, mm -hmm. obviously, because they're biographies. It's Beatrix Potter and Laura Ingalls Wilder. Um, and for the Laura Ingalls Wilder one, it's um, the Wilders. The Ingalls, and then it goes to um, Laura Ingalls Wilder's daughter. Mm -hmm. So, so it's sort of it's sort of this pan of the like the entire family, um, and then it splits into um, the plants, sort of like the plants and the the gardens and the landscapes that they would have seen, um, and then the back section is. Like, if you want to grow your own sort of Beatrix Potter or Ingalls Wilder garden, oh, nice. um, you know, these are the these are the plants and veggies and fruits that um, were mentioned, like, you know, in their diaries or um, in the little house books. Um, and then also for um, people who like to travel and see other gardens, there's also a section at the end for... Um, you know, these are the places that still exist, like museum-ish sort of places, but also like outdoorsy gardens that are near areas um, that they either went to or that they might have went to, things like that. So it's very neat. That and, is. And I don't know if that's that's something that's common in like gardening books, where they, they just say like, hey, if you like, like looking at gardens, here's some gardens that you can go to, but I liked it in here. I definitely like a book with uh, extra resources at the end. Yeah. And I just really liked these. I, I, I liked the the sort of framing of it, of looking at these people's lives through the environment and, um, you know, the gardens that they, they created um, and tended to throughout their lives. An interesting way to um, analyze someone's impact literally on the earth. Yeah. I just, it, it was, I thought it was really neat. I don't yeah. read enough about gardens. This was sort of like my first big deep dive into gardening books, and I liked this one. I like both of them, and I think she has one about Emily Dickinson's gardens that were that was actually like the mm -hmm. first one. So I wanted to look at that. Are you going to be gardening now? Am I going to go outside? No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but but they they did make me want to like go and take a walk, mm -hmm. basically. Um, and I don't think she she is not a trained historian. She is a a gardener, but um, she did a lot of research here in both of them. Um, 
and I thought they were good biographies. And I think one of the one of the um, indications of a good biography was that, especially for the uh, the world of Laura Ingalls Wilder, um, she used the Little House on the Prairie series mm-hmm. as sort of a a source in themselves to kind of look at um, what was grown, what um, what landscapes they might have seen, because they are they're semi autobiographical. Mm-hmm. They're fiction. They're like fictionalized accounts of Laura Ingle Wilder's life, um, but she also did not, um, you know, shy away from like some of the more problematic aspects of the books nowadays that get brought up, um, mm-hmm. like in Little House on the Prairie. Um, they are, I think, she says basically they, you know, they were squatting on Osage Indian land, and and that the comments that other characters make are very yikes to say the least <laughs> which i enjoy not yeah. not that you know not like the yikes um part of it but that she she brought it up yeah analyzes the full life analyzes their full life analyzes all the sources um and interprets them and acknowledges that i mean she is obviously a fan of the little house books and a lot of people are fans of the little house books but they were um written and published in quite a different time yes mm-hmm. um so I, I think it's very it's it's very admirable to write a book of something, that, uh, or using something that you're a big fan of, and and um, still acknowledging the the aspects that are not so great about them. So I would I would heartily recommend the world of Laura Ingalls Wilder. I would heartily recommend Beatrix Potter's Gardening Life, um, and I'm planning on trying to find that Emily Dickinson gardening book um, that that it says. Um, her, her little author biography says that she's written because I like them. Yeah. Yeah, I like these books. <clears throat> what a fun way to analyze the author's life. Mm-hmm. So switching up years a little bit from uh, old old books, <laughs> uh, the next story that I chose to read is a young adult novel, and it is called Things That Grow. It's by Meredith Goldstein, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of referencing how we were talking about old books. Um, this is on the opposite spectrum. It is brand new. Uh, I didn't realize that when I first put it on hold. Uh, I, I guess I should have paid a little closer attention to that one. Uh, but it's a book about gardening. And so you know what? I said, hey, as this is a podcast where we cheat, apparently, I'm going to cheat. And I'll talk about this brand new book. Just because, honestly, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was great. Um, if you listen to our previous podcast, you'll remember that... Uh, my other YA book that I read actually dealt with a character who uh, lost his brother to death. Um, well, here's another story where a character dies mm-hmm. uh, within the very within the very first chapter. Uh, this time it is the main character's grandmother, though, and so Lori has to basically figure out um, where her life's going to be going now that her main guardian, her grandmother, has passed away. It has a lot more comical elements in it than I expected, honestly, at first. Uh, especially when I read that the fact it was going to be a book about um, spreading her grandmother's cremains over over the over uh, Boston. Her cremains. Yes, her cremains. Uh, that in itself becomes a whole joke in the book, uh, and I, I I learned a lot actually about the process of dying and dealing with a loved one's death from this novel. Um, as Lori has to explore it herself, I, I too have many things revealed to me. But 
What I enjoy most is Lori's relationships with those around her. Mm -hmm. She is a teen who is, of course, struggling with a really hard event. Mm -hmm. And you see a lot of her motivations reflected in her interactions with the people around her. She has this one really good friend who she says that she doesn't love, but you know, of course, that's not entirely true. Mm -hmm. uh, and so she has to basically try and figure out how to cope with the loss of her grandmother while also losing her life of those around her, including the person that she might love. Mm -hmm. Well, you'll, you'll find that out uh, later in the book, but it was really interesting. And what I really enjoyed also was the scenes where, um, they're actually spreading the grandmother's ashes. They're all really, it's really nice the way that they describe the gardens. Um, the reason that the, the book is titled things that grow is that in her will, she says that she wants to be spread in places where things grow. Mm -hmm. And so each time they go to one of the gardens to spread the grandmother's ashes, they describe in great detail the gardens. And they're always, it's, it's verdant, lush. I mean, it's a garden, of course. Yeah. But it, the way she paints the scene is just really nice. What's interesting is Meredith Goldstein is actually a columnist for uh, Boston Globe. Mm -hmm. And she writes a love column. Um, so... You definitely see that reflected in this book when she's talking about her the relationship between Lori and Chris. Uh, it feels very realistic. Again, something that I would entirely expect a high schooler to go through and deal with. Um, and just her experience in the field definitely shows through with some of the way that she has her characters react to certain situations. Mm -hmm. But getting back to the um, story of them spreading the grandmother in all the different gardens, what's also fun about that aspect is each time they go to spread the cremains, they always bump into someone interesting. And so the first time, it's like a tree-hugging hippie who uh, has some very sagely words of advice for them and basically teaches them how to go about it in a way that's also respectful for the earth, which is something else that I didn't know about uh, when you die and you get burned to ash. Um, apparently, it's not the best for the environment to just be spread around. So they, they have to find uh, adequate places for it. Oh, I didn't know that either. <laughs> yeah, no. And so, you know, enough talking about death. Um, <laughs> in the book, Things That Grow, there's many live people who all have very inter interesting interactions. <laughs> and um, it just, this book is a joy. There, like I mentioned earlier, there's these comical aspects that keep coming back that each time I started to tear up, mm -hmm. they managed to say something funny enough in the book that I actually laugh out loud. Aww. So it, it has a beautiful balance, I think. Well, if it's not good a book, then we'll, we'll forgive you for choosing a fresh, brand new novel to read for our podcast. And you, you read four books anyways, too. Yeah, yeah. We both read four books this month. A month of books. Sometimes that's just how it goes. <laughs> um, have we talked enough about books today? I think, you know, I think we covered a lot, a lot of book. We did cover a lot of book, indeed. Uh, okay, then then let's wrap it up. Um, if you're itching for more outdoorsy content, you'll be glad to know that our summer reading program this year is full of outdoor activities and events. Um, sign up for those events start June 1st. Uh, summer reading itself 
begins June 14th and ends August 14th, and registration for summer reading as a whole um, begins June 14th, that first day. Um, a big thank you for the Friends of the Library who funded our summer reading program for participants of all ages. And thanks again to the library staff for giving us the time we needed to talk about this month's books, um, especially this month because we have commandeered the kitchen uh, for, for who knows how long hmm. um, once Hayden is done with our editing. Which reminds me to give a big thank you to Hayden for, for uh, working his magic <laughs> to turn this into something that makes it sound good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and if you enjoyed this podcast and the previous month's podcast, we are going to be coming out with another one next month, as uh, it happens with a monthly podcast. <laughs> we have selected our theme to go in line with the summer reading. So for next month, our theme is going to be Tales and Tales. Just kind of hard to get across in audio, I think. Um, so Tails, T-A-I-L-S, and Tails, T-A-L-E-S. So, like, animal tales and story tales. Yes, exactly. So, that'll be another month of searching the catalog for relevant and interesting books. Until then, take care, and I appreciate you joining us. Yeah, thanks for listening. We'll see you next month.